Good to once again be with you all in the house of the Lord. Probably say this every time I come down, but I am always glad to be here. This church has always been very precious in my memory and and every time precious in refreshment and in kind company. I do like to be here with you all and I do love to share the word with you and I do love to, as often happens, sometimes speak with you all afterwards. We've been going through a study in Southampton of the Gospel of John, and last time I was here, I did begin sharing some of the things that we've been studying up there. As a matter of fact, um, Danny and I ended up both speaking out of uh, John the last two times I think I was here. He was in John 1, then John 2. I was in John 11 at the time. And the last time I was here, we heard Lazarus raised from the grave. And I would like to just take a look um, at the beginning of John chapter 12 with you this morning with this primarily in the back of your mind. We have someone, I was delighted to hear that we have someone coming forward for baptism today, and all of you are also here today. It is good to see you all coming faithfully to be here when the Lord's people are gathered together, um, obeying not just command, but also promise, uh, seeking not just to do the right thing, but to gain opportunity to have those best things and to take rest in him, take rest in each other. The passage we're going to look at comes right after, as I said, the resurrection of Lazarus from the grave. So first I'd like to read the passage and then just make a few points. First eight verses of John chapter 12. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Lazarus, I'm sorry, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and had the bag, and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor have you, the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. The Word of God. There's a few characters that we've heard in this short passage that I'd like to take a look at. First was Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. And he wasn't just dead. His sisters, when Jesus came, said he would stink. He stinketh, is the way King James put it. He was long dead. As the Princess Bride said, he was all dead, completely dead, irrevocably dead, to the point that he should have been rotting in the grave completely. And it would have been a shame to him to open his grave that people would have smelled this man's corpse. Jesus did this in a particular time and place. He's about to enter the final Passover of his life. He does this just a couple days' walk from um, Jerusalem, so very near enough to where many people that knew him had come out to see it. So this was a matter that had become very uh, famous, for indeed this family was, to some degree, fairly well connected. Because, as I said, when Lazarus was dead and Jesus came, there were many people at the house to give them comfort. 
Lazarus is here. Not much is said about Lazarus, but much is said about his sisters. And if they are truly uh, family indeed, you maybe be able to infer some other things about him. But the next person brought up is Martha. It says that Martha served. Now you may know the very famous story of Mary and Martha where uh, Mary was praised by Jesus for sitting at his feet and learning and Martha was very busy serving. There's a time and a place for serving. We have many very busy people here in this church who do a great many things to keep um, the business of the place going and also to bring those wonderful meals that we're going to hopefully enjoy this afternoon and arrange many different things. But Jesus made it clear that while that's important, the most important thing is and always has been sitting at Jesus' feet, learning from him. It's the problem that Judas had. It's the problem that at a time Martha had. However, in the passage before this, Martha had been obviously praised by Jesus. And Martha was an excellent example because she came to Jesus and laid her cares at his feet. While Mary was just too sick of heart to even get up and see Jesus because they were upset. They thought Jesus could have saved Lazarus if he just got there sooner. But Jesus made it clear that he wasn't just there to take care of their physical, earthly problems. He wasn't just there to take care of their sicknesses. Oh, he would do that. And I think I spoke at length about how when Jesus proved who he was, everything he did to prove it was also things that would profit his people and people generally, because that's the way that God works. The reason he worked miracles was because that's just how good God is. When he's going to show he's God, he doesn't just do it through great messages in the sky. He does it by making people's lives better because he just is that way. He just is that good. But here they were upset with him because he hadn't shown up in time. But Martha came out right away. She didn't accuse him, but she said, if you've been here, because she showed how much she trusted him. And she still said, nevertheless, I know that he'll rise again. And Jesus said to her, she said, he said something very special, very particular. And it's just before this, remember, just before the miracle, he said, I am the resurrection. And then after saying so, he did it. He raised Lazarus from the grave, as he said. So here we see Martha again serving, working diligently. But she has been comforted in a way that I think few people ever have been. Jesus particularly came to her told her what's going to happen at the end of all things. He is the resurrection and the life. And then proved it physically in front of her with someone that she loved dearly. So that every extra minute she got to spend with her brother, who she obviously loved and who Jesus obviously loved, she knew a little bit more of what was going to happen at the end of all things. That Jesus would raise all of the dead. All those who have indeed gone through death because of the wages of sin. And indeed, it says at the end of all things that he would wipe every tear from their eyes. So she looked at Lazarus, she got a little bit of a taste of heaven every single day. So here they are, and I think this is just after that. Maybe it was the first time they got together based on the tone of things. And it says that they made a supper. Lazarus uh, was able to even sit with Jesus. He didn't serve at this time. He was an honored guest even in his own home. As this happened, Martha sitting and Mary, it says, took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. This would have probably been a spice, at least from my studies, that would have come from a faraway place, very likely India. We were just hearing about justice, about to travel over there. It would have been very costly. It would have had been brought around from the other side of the world. It would have had many properties, in which, not least of which would have been a wonderful smell to it, would have had a preservative effect. It would have been a very precious thing indeed. It's one of the reasons why I think that Sometimes money is confused, and if I have time to get to this, I will, but money is something that's very confused nowadays, in part because we have such great prosperity, you'll see a lot more sin with it, but they obviously had some degree of wealth. Judas is going to say about this thing that she brought forward, that it was worth 300 pence. Well, pence is a day laborer's day's work. 
And so if you go down to a local convenience store in the morning and you need people to, to help you with work, go, hey, anyone? And you go, yep. And you might work out a deal between 100, 150, maybe 200, depending on how good the person is, dollars a day. So multiply that by 300. You're talking well over $10,000 in current money for this one little box. This was a very expensive item. By the way, I go through that so you understand. Beloved, these things really happened in a real time with an economy, and with money, and with people, and passions just like you. Okay, so what happened to Lazarus being raised from the grave? What's happening in this scene? What's happening in this fight between a debate between, as Van was praying before, a desire for the earthly powers to be uh, at peace, at least so that, they could, so that we might dwell at peace, but also a desire for God's work, God's kingdom, the heavenly kingdom to expand. That's, that's what's going to be at war here. We should know that these things happen in a way that's just like your life today. So it says that she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, you might think that this was a complete waste. I assure you it was not. This was a disciple of Jesus, not one of the disciples as we call them, but a faithful disciple of Jesus who wanted to express her gratitude. She did so rightly. What's amazing about this is she had absolutely no idea what she was doing on the grander scheme of things. I say that because what Jesus says here, no one saw coming. Because if Judas knew it was coming, he wouldn't have spoken up, even being a thief. It says that Jesus said of her that against the day of my burying hath she kept this. See, she was so thankful to God in heaven. Her heart was so broken. And if you know your scripture, you know that God says that that is the right and acceptable sacrifice that he desires. Thanksgiving and a broken and a broken heart and a contrite spirit. These are the things which God approves of. These are the things God desires of you. And here she had these things and she offered them and she gave the best of what she had. Now, in some cases, if you're remarkably poor as the widow who had two pence, God still accepts that as the best you could give. Jesus said of that woman that she had given more than everyone else. But here, Mary gave the best of what she had. So we see that whether you're rich or poor, giving the best of what you have to God is something that first off matters. He notices it is a right giving. But then second, that sometimes you do much more than you realize in so doing. That widow, by giving those two pence, had no idea that she was going to be praised before everyone for all time, for everyone who would ever read the Bible. Mary here, I don't think, was doing this so that for all time we would see this wonderful example and also have, again, that great war between the serpent and the child be revealed again here in this place. Because, again, I say that she through the Holy Ghost, was, whole, was holily and thankfully giving to Jesus, but in so doing, God used her to, to take part in the very burial of Jesus, which was a sacred thing. They, some of the ladies would eventually do that with their own hands physically, but here, God says that spiritually, against the day of his burial, he has now been prepared by her. How could she possibly have known? Of course she didn't. And so I say that when you're faithfully following God, with thanksgiving and with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, you have no idea what things you may be involved with on the grand scale, in the real war. So then Judas speaks up and he says, it says of him that he should betray him. Now I believe the Gospel of John was written later than all the other Gospels in part because of little notes like this and in part because of the things that he leaves out. He kind of, some of these things that he teaches or shares with us about Jesus' life assume other Gospel stories that you know. I don't want to get too much into that because I don't have the time to, but just take that for uh, what it is. That's my personal belief. It was written much later. And here they have to give you a note that Judas was a traitor. 
He says this here and other places, and the reason for that is because he didn't seem like a traitor. You know this because at the Last Supper, when Jesus even tells them through signs, they say, who's going to be the traitor? He says, the one who dips with me. Judas dips with them, and then they still don't believe it's him. They're still saying he's a die. And then Jesus says to him, what you do, do, go do quickly. It says that they thought that he was doing something with the bag. He had to go set something else up. Why would that be? Why, with all those obvious signs, would they not know that he was a traitor? Because he did a lot of work for and with Jesus. So he was obviously a faithful servant in a way. His heart was obviously not in the right place as well. But of Judas, I'd say this. He was picked by God to be there. Now that's a very ominous thing. Jesus said it, I believe in John 6 himself, and other places he said, one of you is a devil. One of you is a devil. So that Judas was there, known by God, he was there on purpose and with purpose. He was specifically brought up with them for one reason, so that he would betray Jesus, so that one of his own would be the one to bring him in, because that was the only way it could be done according to God's plan and vision. Of Judas, I don't know what his intentions were. I love my my father's theory, which was that uh, Judas uh, betrayed Jesus because he'd seen the power that he had. Just just think about the power Jesus has displayed. In the desert with 5,000 men and women and children, he fed them all. Where else have you seen that happen? Well, in the Old Testament, with manna. That was it. The only other time. So this man can feed a moving army in the desert anytime he wants to. He has healed the sick, so after a battle, he can make all of your soldiers whole. And now, he's gone one step further, and he just raised a man from the dead. Now, if you're thinking more from a taking over the government perspective, and if you have Roman rulers who crucify people in front, your own people in front of you, who have bought off your own people to make them betray you and make them tax collectors, who have ruled over you and would have even taken your religion away if you weren't such a stubborn people, the only people who were able to keep their own religion and keep the Romans out. They were under the most domineering government structure that was known at that time. And it was very hard. So I imagine that there's a chance that maybe Judas thought, all right, he can even raise people from the grave. I send him in there. There's no way he's not going to reveal his power. And now it's revolution time. Jesus was here for a revolution. He was. Just not the kind man always desires. We always desire to destroy. Another wise saying from my father I heard many years ago. He said, it's easier to destroy than it is to rebuild. You see how long it takes to put a house up? See how quickly they can take them down? You live in a world that wants to destroy. And that spirit is not the spirit of God. God it is who feeds even his enemies daily. So Judas, whatever his reasoning, was wrong. Wrong in every way. But he was not one of the elect of God. He was elected by God to a particular purpose. But this is a good reminder for us. That even in the highest echelon of all of the elect that have ever been, the disciples that God himself picked and chose out, one of those was not one of his. This is a comfort to you when you have people you know and love who fall away. Because you don't know what God's doing in someone's life. You don't know why why someone is there. It doesn't mean that God has failed. It's quite the opposite. God has always had his own, and he will not ever not have his own. Every one of his, it says, of all those the Father gives me, I will lose none. This is a comfort because sometimes, as it says in another place, they've gone out from us. Not that they were ever of us, but they've gone out from us because they were not of us. I don't have time to talk about the money piece, but I want to leave you with this one last bit. Jesus answered him. He said, let her alone. Sometimes, sometimes you will be faithfully following God and you will be persecuted. 
Sometimes it's the smaller way, right? Right now, verbal persecution can come from so many people at one time because it's social media. You can be persecuted by 10,000 people at once. It's an amazing thing. 10,000 people you've never even met who have never even seen you, who won't even have a heart move to care that you're a living, breathing person. It's a different kind of persecution. But that kind of pressure is exactly what Judas is applying here. What are you doing? Don't you understand we have an operation to fund here? We have plenty of poor people we're going to meet. Well, Jesus says very clearly that the poor will always be here. The reason for that is in the scriptures. They talk about how finances are downstream from wisdom. It's downstream from righteousness. It's downstream from serving other people, not the other way around. So that selfishness, it says, um, drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. So if you're lazy, you're not going to have money. And there's always going to be lazy people. The Bible makes that very clear. But Jesus says the most important thing was happening here. Remember, remember that he cared so much about her service here. And what was her service? It was just brokenhearted thanksgiving to God. He cared so much about that service, he wouldn't even let this man, who appeared to be his number one lieutenant, who appeared to be his right-hand man, speak against her. Because the service of, to God of his lambs from a broken heart and a, thanks, and a thankful spirit is precious in the sight of God. Remember that, beloved. Remember that for yourself. Remember that you should rightly serve him in the right time and right way, whatever that is. And remember also to be gentle when people around you are brokenhearted and thankful. Because God may be doing something in them you don't know. Thank you for your good attention. Appreciate what Brother John has brought forth and ask that you continue to pray that the Lord would bless us for a few minutes. Uh, I want to look at a song here in just a minute. Before we do, a few verses in the Gospels about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and who He is and what He does. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, a familiar verse that we uh, treasure and she talking about Mary. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So it talks about that Jesus Christ is, number one, our Savior. He saves us from an eternal standpoint. And as Brother John said, there's not a one of the elect that will be utterly lost. In Luke, uh, it says in chapter 1, verse, we'll go down to maybe verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and thou shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus talks about how that Christ is born of the Virgin Mary. Then it describes him and it says that he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give him the throne of his father, David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom. There shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this thing be, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, 
and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. We go on down and we see where John leapt for joy in his mother's womb at the name and salutation of Jesus. In John chapter 1, John chapter 1, it says, And in the beginning was the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, talking about Christ, and the life of the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man whose sent from God, whose name was John. The same came to bear witness of the light, John bearing witness of Christ, that all men through him might believe. John, it says, was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light, which was Christ. And that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse 13 and 14. Which were born. Talks about those that were believing on the name of Christ. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. But they were born of God. Talks about those that believe on God are born of God. And then verse 14 talks about Christ. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due times. Again, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. That's the, that is our representation of what God is. And it tells us that the purpose of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1 was to save his people from their sins. So Christ had a purpose and he fulfilled that purpose on the cross of Calvary. But in addition to Christ redeeming and saving his people from their sins, Christ is alive in the lives of his people each and every day. I want to look at this song. Interestingly, this song was written by John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is a little bit more familiar than this song, but it is an excellent song, and it describes our lot here in this life. So not only does Christ redeem us and save us from an eternal standpoint, but Christ is alive and, and involved in our lives today. And John Newton, who had had a miraculous experience of sovereign grace and rejoiced in declaring the name of Jesus Christ. 
Christ was active in his life. He was a rebel and Christ apprehended him just much like the Apostle Paul. Let's look at these words uh, briefly here. How sweet the name is 212. John Newton writes this song. Wonderful, wonderful song. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. Just the name of Jesus is comforting to our ears. That's not comforting to you unless you're a child of God. Unless he's touched your heart with his spirit. Unless he's blessed you with spiritual birth. You're not going to have an appreciation for the name of Jesus. It's not going to seem pleasant to your ears. But it says how sweet the name of Jesus sounds. And it describes who it sounds pleasant to. It's to a believer's ears. And then it says it soothes his sorrows and it heals his wounds. Anybody have sorrows? Anybody have wounds? The name of Jesus soothes our sorrows and heals our wounds. There's not too many things that you can look for out in the world that's going to assist you in soothing your sorrows or healing your wounds. But the name of Jesus Christ does that. It says it soothes our sorrows and it heals our wounds. And it says the name of Jesus drives our fears away. Anybody have fears? Take your fears to Jesus. You want your fears driven away? You take your fears to Christ. Christ can hold you up. Christ cares for you. Christ comforts you. He is our comforter. He will sustain us. He is our strength. He is our refuge. And therefore, he takes our fears away. It makes the wounded spirit whole. Anybody ever experience a wounded spirit? It says it makes the wounded spirit whole and it calms the troubled breast. A lot of trouble in this world in which we live. A lot of times it affects us. A lot of times we become discouraged and disheartened and full of anxiety because of the trouble that's on every hand. But he says that it's the name of Jesus that will calm our troubled breast. It says it's manna or it's food to the hungry soul. Your soul ever get weary and tired and hungry? He says that the name of Jesus is food or manna to the hungry soul. And it again says... And it provides to the weary. You ever get weary here in this life? Just life itself is wearisome. It says that, and it provides rest for the weary. Verse 3, by him my prayers acceptance made, uh, acceptance gain. Although with sin defiled, Satan accuses me in vain, and I am owned a child. The author says that it's through Christ as the mediator. Christ is God, man. Christ is the mediator that our accept that our prayers are accepted before God, even though they're tainted and hindered with sin along the way. Christ dresses it up and presents it to God, and he's the mediator between us and God. Even though Satan accuses me, it says it's in vain. And the author says, and I am owned a child because of Jesus Christ. It's because of Christ. 
Then he tells us who Christ is. And, and, and all of these that we've looked at so far in this song are not necessarily talking about an eternal standpoint of who Christ is. We know that Christ came to save a people and he did that. But Christ is also very much active in ministering to his people today. And here he tells us who Christ is. Dear name, the rock on which I build. Jesus Christ is our rock. Are we building our lives on anything other than Christ? If we are, we're going to be disappointed. He says, my shield and my hiding place. Jesus Christ is our refuge. He is our fortress. He is our shield against the storms of life. And he is our hiding place. He's my never failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. Jesus Christ is abundant with grace. Paul tells us that the grace of our Lord is sufficient for our every need. That there's not a trial that we're going to have that's going to be above the measure of grace that God blesses us with. He not only blesses us with the measure of grace, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he tells us that he is the father of mercies and he is the God of all comfort. So he not only blesses us with his grace, but he blesses us with mercy. And in addition to that, he is the God of all comfort. Dear name, the rock on which I build my shield and hiding place, my never failing treasury filled with boundless stores of grace. I love verse five, probably one of my favorite verses here. Jesus, my shepherd, he's my husband, my friend. He's my prophet. He's my priest and my king. He is my Lord and he's my life. He's my way and my end. He says, The songwriter says, accept the praise that I bring. Who is Christ to you? Is Jesus Christ your shepherd? The great shepherd? One of the responsibilities of the shepherd is to tend to the sheep. Is to go after the sheep. Is to apprehend the sheep. Is to take care of the sheep. Jesus Christ is our shepherd. It says he's our husband and our friend. He's my prophet. He's my priest. He's my king. Jesus Christ is my all in all. He is my Lord. He is my life. He is my way. And he is my end. And then the songwriter says, Lord, would you accept my feeble efforts of praising you? You are my all in all. Who is Christ to you? Is he your all? Then verse six says it this way. Weak is the effort of my heart and cold my warmest thought. Is that your case ever? You feel like that your efforts are so far short of measuring up. The author says weak is the effort of my heart and cold my warmest thought. But when I see thee as thou art, I'll praise thee as I Ought. Once in a while, God blesses us with a glimpse of who he is. Sometimes he does it when we're singing hymns. Sometimes he does it when we're hearing the preached word. 
Sometimes he does it when we're in our closets praying to him. Sometimes he does it when we're at the bedside of someone that's afflicted, that's having health issues. Sometimes he does it when he manifests himself in delivering. He says, weak is the effort of my heart and cold my warmest thought. But when I see thee as thou art, isn't that our greatest desire? With these sin-stricken eyes, as best we can, to see a glimpse of Jesus. Of who he is in our life. Of who he is for us. Of his perfection. Of his love. Of his kindness. Of his mercy. Of his deliverance. Of all that Christ is. He is our all in all. And the author says. But when I see thee as thou art. As thou art. He said then. I can praise thee as I ought. Does not. The. Beauty. And glory of Christ. Motivate us. To desire to praise him more. He says when I see thee as thou art. Then I'll praise thee as I ought. Verse 7. Till then I would thy love proclaim. With every fleeting breath. And may the music of thy name. Refresh my soul in death. The author says it's my greatest desire. Paul put it like this. He says my desire in Philippians chapter 1. He says it is my great desire. To magnify. That means Expand, build up, enlighten, make it more clear. It's my desire to magnify the name of Christ. He says, the author says, whether it be by my life or by my death, I desire that Christ is magnified. And the author says right here, he says, I want to praise him with all of my breath. I I realize that my breath is a gift from God and I want to use the breath that God's given me all of my life. To praise him. He said till then. I would thy love proclaim. With every fleeting breath. And then he says. And when I get to the end of my journey. When I've finished my course. And when my time is no more on this earth. He says this is my desire. And may the music. Of thy name. The name of Christ. May it refresh my soul. Doesn't say it's going to change the body, but it says it will refresh our soul in death. The scripture tells us we see this all around and sometimes we can experience it even personally. That though the outward man, that's this natural man, perishes as we get older, we see that that happens. He says, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. But the author saying right here is that my desire is that the name of Jesus bless the inward man, the spiritual man, all of my life and even at the point of my death. He says, and may the music of thy name, may it encourage or strengthen or refresh my soul in death. John Newton wrote this song. Great song. He's the author of Amazing Grace. Um, Two wonderful, wonderful songs. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Danny and Brother Luke and Brother uh, John uh, to come and lead 
uh, some songs uh, as we prepare for the baptism. One of the songs we want you to lead is Amazing Grace. The other song that, that John Newton wrote about his life and his experience of God's amazing grace.